I'm reading from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at his rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure, their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. I'm reading from Exodus chapter 1 verse 15 to chapter 2 verse 10. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on a birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him, but if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a, Le a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. 
This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the women took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. I just want to uh, note that I'm not this morning particularly talking about the massacre of the innocents, but it is kind of hard to hear that story without wanting to mention it, because uh, it is such a horrific story. Um, I did uh, speak about the Massacre of the Innocents as a specific sermon a couple of years ago. So if you want to have some thoughts around that, then do let me know and I can signpost you to that. But the, the title of this morning's sermon is um, the phrase, there's always another way. Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. And so, Luke tells us, the great King Herod, Herod the Great, was kept waiting. And really, that's the point of the sermon, right up front from the beginning. There's always a different route, there's always an alternative path, there's always another choice that one could take, there is always another way. Especially when you're dealing with a murderous, self-aggrandizing, self-important ruler who is intent on protecting his own power, whatever the cost. So let me tell you a little bit about Herod. He was the founder of what became known as the Herodian dynasty. This was the family that ruled over the Palestinian area from about 40 BC until about 100 AD. And the Herod, who became known as Herod the Great, was born in 72 BC and he died in 4 BC. Which incidentally is how we know that Jesus was born sometime in or just before 4 BC. Uh, it's one of those kind of quiz questions, isn't it? What year was Jesus born? And people go year zero. Um, it's wrong for two reasons. Firstly, there wasn't a year zero. It goes from... 1 BC to 1 AD, and secondly, he was born somewhere around 4 to 6 BC. Uh, anyway, the, uh, we know this, of course, because Herod died in 4 BC. It's just one of those errors of dating. But Herod's power, uh, the great Herod, his power had its origins in the demise of the previous dynasty that had been ruling in Palestine, uh, known as the Hasmoneans. And uh, the transference of Syria and Palestine into Roman rule and the civil wars uh, that marked the decay of the Jewish nation created a period of political and economic instability that was kind of ripe for a strong leader to come in and assert himself. And so riding the tide of Julius Caesar's ascent to power in Rome, Herod's father made some careful political alliances. And Herod's father became the Roman administrator for the area known as Judea. And Herod was then appointed governor of Galilee by his father. And he ruled that province with an iron fist for about 10 years, whilst building his own favorable alliances and relationships with the Romans, conveniently suppressing any Jewish uprisings. 
So although he was himself Jewish, he had turned against the people and made his alliances with Rome. Well, eventually, following a trip to Rome, Herod was made king of Judea by the Roman Senate, and he returned to Palestine with Roman soldiers, captured Jerusalem as the base for his new regime. And in many ways, you might, from a historical perspective, judge Herod the Great's reign as a success. His brutal style won him many admirers. Uh, he viciously discouraged any who would oppose him. So, for example, he thought nothing, as far as we are aware, of executing 45 of the wealthiest members of the Jewish aristocracy and taking all of their wealth for himself and his allies. He also invested heavily in the military, who supported his rule, and in lavish public building projects, including a major rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, along the way, he executed his wife, his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, and his nephews, all to ensure succession for his own direct descendants. By the time of the birth of Jesus, Herod was coming towards the end of his reign. He was going to die uh, within a year or two, and he was under a lot of stress. He had become seriously ill, and as is often the case when a strong leader's power starts to wane, his enemies were massing, threatening to overturn not just him, but his chosen successor. And so the strong leader became increasingly paranoid and even more brutally violent in his attempts to protect himself and his legacy. And so we come to the visit of the Magi, these wise men from the East. In many ways, the wise men were the inverse of Herod. They came from beyond Israel. He was the king of Israel. They sought Jesus to worship him. Herod sought Jesus to kill him. They brought their wealth and their wisdom as gifts for the Christ child, whereas Herod sought to protect his power and his wealth at all costs. And so the wise men arrived in Jerusalem, asking where the newborn king of the Jews was to be found. Well, it could hardly have been a more worrying question for Herod. In a superstitious age to a paranoid man, their quest must have seemed like even the universe itself was conspiring against him. What do you mean a star is pointing you to the, where the new king is going to be born? Herod knew who the new king was going to be. It was going to be his son. He didn't want some other person being signaled by the heavens. And so we come to Herod's quickly hatched and cunning plan. Let the wise men find the child and then arrange to have him killed. From the point of view of the wise men, the obvious thing would have been for them to return to Herod, make their report and be on their way. But as we know, an angel warns them to return by another route, and so they leave Herod waiting. Predictably, perhaps he reacts somewhat badly. And Matthew tells us this terrible story of the massacre of the innocents, based on the story of Moses in the book of Exodus. Helping us to understand that Herod is just another pharaoh. That's the purpose for the way Matthew telling this story of the killing of the children, echoing the killing of the children in Egypt. He's giving us an angle on Herod. Herod, 
he's just another pharaoh. He does what Pharaoh did. He's just one more psychotic, paranoid ruler in a long line of tyrants. And Jesus, like Moses, will be the one to lead people from slavery to freedom by pointing them to another way, to another path, by offering a new route out of the seemingly endless spirals of violence and intimidation and retribution. And it begins with the wise men who encounter the infant Christ. And they, and they hear somewhere in that encounter the wisdom to take another path. Sometimes in life, the wise route is not the obvious one. Sometimes the wise route is not the expected one. Sometimes the wise route is walking in the opposite direction from the way the world is pointing. Sometimes the wise route is refusing to engage the systems of oppression that so desperately seek conflict in order to legitimate their own position. Sometimes the wise route is robbing the tyrant of his power by walking away from the fight that the bully so desperately craves. And this is a tough path because it flies in the face of common sense. Common sense tells us that if we meet a tyrant, we must engage him and defeat him. I can hear my dad. You can't let the bullies win, you know, Simon. But the wisdom of the angel to the wise men is that while we may not be able to stop the murderous regime from killing its own population's innocent children, taking the other way offers us an act which denies the regime its power by undermining its legitimacy. And this is more, far more than symbolic action. The departure of the wise men by another route rewrote the story of Herod definitively. It left him nowhere to go, but further into his own depravity. And as he acted to kill the children, he revealed himself to be just another Pharaoh. And so the mythology of the great Herod took a fatal blow. He may have carried on his murderous rule, and he would surely have done to even more devastating effect had the wise men walked back into his court to reveal the location of the child he wanted assassinated. But by taking another path, they not only avoided complicity in his sins, they also acted to set in place the downfall of his carefully constructed ideology. Herod knew how he wanted to be remembered. He wanted to be remembered as Herod the Great. The truth, of course, is he gets remembered as Herod the child killer. Herod the Pharaoh, who seeks to oppress, not liberate. And here's the point. When we are faced with a murderous tyrant in our world, as we sometimes are and have been, there is always another way. The wise men who followed the star that led to Jesus found an alternative path through violence that disempowered the mighty Herod. In effect, they rewrote Herod's story. He wanted to be Herod the Great, and he so nearly achieved it. But they say, Herod, they say history is written by the victors. 
and the unfavorable association of Herod and Pharaoh through the paralleling of the stories of the massacre of the innocents and the killing of the Israelite children became history's verdict on his life. Whether it happened or not, probably not, is not really the point. It's the story that summarizes his life, inviting eternal judgment on him and all those like him who would seek to impede the coming of the Prince of Peace into the world of sin. The other way of the wise men becomes the other way of Jesus. It is the path of nonviolent resistance. It is the root of subversion. It's the path which once taken by the few becomes opened for the many. After all, the story tells us that Mary and Joseph then also found another way. They followed the wise men on a different path on their flight to Egypt, as they too sought a way out of Herod's murderous clutches. And so we come to today. And I wonder what the other way of the wise men might look like in our world of sin and violence. Herod the Great may have died in 4 BC but his spiritual successors are still with us. People who seek power and authority and wealth for themselves, but who never bring their great gifts before the king of creation as an offering to be received for the good of the many. The reality of our world is that now as then, and in so many ways, Herod still reigns. And so now as then, Herod must be resisted. Just as the wise men returned to their own country by another route, so those who would be wise in our time need to find ways of bypassing the scheming Herods of our world. Herod and those like him all too readily embrace violence. It's how they deal with their enemies. They kill or co-opt by force if necessary. And we have had too many deal breakers in positions of power who would do a deal with the devil if it ensured their ongoing appearance of success. And all too often the wisdom of the world, the clinical application of the cold logic of power leads to violence and oppression. But what the path of violence does not know how to deal with is a movement, a kingdom, whose citizens refuse to believe that violence will determine the meaning of history. Think of Rosa Parks, the black woman who made a courageous decision to sit down for her rights on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama, arrested after she refused to give up her seat on a crowded bus to a white passenger. Her carefully thought through, carefully planned act of nonviolent resistance to a system of domination and oppression highlighted the power imbalance that sustained white supremacy and became the decisive moment on the journey towards racial equality in the United States. The rise of alt-right ideology in America and of other far-right groups across Europe are even now threatening to reassert those very same systems of domination once again. I genuinely believe that our world is under threat 
from exactly these kinds of ideologies. And so the need is very great for us in our time to discern what it means to non-violently disarm and disable the powers of oppression. We need here the alternative wisdom of the kingdom of God. And those who embrace this wisdom will become those who bear witness to a new and better way of being human that comes into being in the Christ child in the manger. The wise men recognized this. They had brought their gifts as an offering of worship. Herod recognized it and sought to suppress it with violence. Two paths, two responses to the challenge of the Christ child. In the southern states of America under slavery, the African slaves had very few freedoms. They were utterly dominated by a violent system of oppression that sought to control every aspect of their lives. But they were allowed to sing. And so they sang freedom songs to subversively give voice to their hope that one day another path would open before them. They kept hope alive through the offering of worship. And so the worship we offer to Jesus the songs we sing, this is not the worship that the world asks for, because it is not the worship of power or status or wealth. We worship a child in a manger. What on earth is that about? You go out into our city. Worship is demanded from every side and it is never the subversive worship of Christianity, because it is never the worship of powerlessness and innocence. The wise men brought their gifts as offerings of worship, not to lift the Holy Family out of poverty, but in order that through their symbolic giving of themselves, a new path might be opened for the salvation of the world. And so the wise men took another path, and as they did so, they denied Herod his chance to fulfill his stated aim of bringing his own violent offering of homage to the child-born king of the Jews. There is always another way. Violence and power do not get to write the rules that we must follow. The political significance of the birth of Jesus is all too often lost, but Herod understood it readily enough. Power consents threats to itself. And even as an infant, Jesus was a threat to thrones and empires, threatening to both Herod and Rome. It's easy for those in favor of military solutions to the Herods of our world to characterize those who take a stand of principled non-violence as fuzzy peacenik cowers who go weak at the very thought of danger. And sure, compared to a man with a gun in his hand, the unarmed man will always look vulnerable. But the other way of Jesus teaches us that this is a false dichotomy. It's not a choice between hero and coward. There is, as the wise men discovered, always another way. Do you remember that video from Tiananmen Square of the man who stopped a Chinese tank in its tracks armed only with two bags of shopping? 
the other way of Jesus seeks to highlight, expose and ridicule the power inequality that is bolstering the regime. And here's the thing, being nonviolent is not about doing nothing. It's the world of the aid worker, the military chaplain, the journalist, the international observer, the international accompanist. Not cowards, but heroes to the cause of peace. Carrying a gun does not automatically make someone a hero and neither does being injured on active service. That might make them a victim. There is a danger that when we designate our combatants as heroes, we end up inferring that our peace workers are cowards. And our society constructs narratives that sanctify violence. And we learn to live with casualties, deaths and collateral damage. And we do so by telling ourselves that it's all a necessary sacrifice because the end justifies the means. In other words, when we do that, we walk straight into Herod's trap. But what if there is another way? What if the way to hell is indeed paved with good intentions and the road taken by the many is indeed wide and broad enough to take a tank? And what if the way of Christ truly is narrow and steep and taken only by some who have the courage to speak out and act against prevailing ideologies of violent retribution and intervention? When I was a child, I developed a philosophy of game playing. It was this, if you can't win, don't play the game. It's why I didn't play rugby or football or tennis or cricket if I could avoid it. But I was all right on things like chess. I wonder if we might rephrase this philosophy slightly in the light of the wise men. To, if you can't change the game, don't play it. We may not be able to stop the Taliban in its tracks. We may not be able to banish ISIS from the world. We may not be in a position to prevent the Herods of our world from killing their own and our own innocent people. But we can take action to delegitimize their ideology. We can work to subversively undermine their power. We can rewrite the narratives of history away from retribution towards peace. We can, in other words, refuse to play power at its own game. We can, as the wise men discovered, take another path. And the world has never needed their other way more than it does today. We are still playing our games both internally within our country and internationally by rules set by Herod. And we need to stop. As the wise men discovered, there is always another way. And in the name of Christ, we need to discover the path of Christ. As Martin Luther King put it, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. He said those very words in this building. We need to learn what it is to walk away from the games of violence and do something different. And what we will discover, of course, is what Martin Luther King and Gandhi and so many others have discovered before us, which is that walking a different path undermines the power that was legitimating the game of violence in the first place. The game changer will not be brimstone missiles in Syria, nor, as it turned out, will it be boots on the ground in Kabul.
The game changer is the way of Christ, and the wise need to listen and act, or else we will all continue on the path to hell. It is my firm belief that the eternal hope made flesh in the baby who comes to us at Christmas is the only path through death and violence to resurrection and new life. And so it is our calling as the people of Christ to live that eternal hope into being in our midst, in our society, in our city, in our communities, in our world. And so we need to learn to be wise. Wise in our actions, wise in the way we vote, wise in what we do with our money, wise in the way we respond, wise in what we say. We need to learn to read the signs and then to have the courage to tread the other path as Christ leads us. At the beginning of a new year, we bring our prayers before God. Would that today we had wise men coming from the East to celebrate the birth of peace in our world. Or maybe we have, but we do not recognize them. Who might be our wise men from the East? God of all, Give us eyes to see and understand those who seek to bring peace. Would that today we would listen to your voice telling us which way to go, to avoid the intentions of those who currently play the part of that long ago Herod. Or maybe we are listening to the wrong voices who might be expressing God's voice for us? God of all, give us ears to listen and to hear what you are saying to us. Would that today we could know of women and men across the world celebrating a new beginning, the start of a new year, stepping out in faith and trust accepting each other how diff however different they may be. Or maybe there are such men and women around us, quietly building your, your kingdom in our communities. Who might these people be? God of all, give us awareness and recognition of your ongoing presence amongst us. God of wisdom, we pray for all political leaders that they may learn to rule their people by truly caring for the well-being of all, that they may seek to establish equality and justice among their citizens, to negotiate peace with others, seeking to put an end to enmity and conflict. God of wisdom, we pray too for those with other major responsibilities, such as for health, education, administration and other aspects of our civil society, that they may carry out their responsibilities with diligence and commitment, making the best decisions possible, recognizing that often 
there is no completely right solution. We continue to pray for the ongoing effects of the pandemic, thinking of those who are unwell and of those who care for them. We are grateful for the health provision of this, our country, but we think now of those countries whose resources are insufficient to provide appropriate vaccinations and treatment. And we ask that our rich countries may indeed be moved to share more of our resources. God of wisdom, we pray for ourselves. Give us your vision of peace and justice, that we may share the gifts of the earth equally. Give us the wisdom to accept advice with humility and not to seek for power over those around us who are weaker than us. Give us the motivation and energy to work towards changing those aspects of society that are selfish and self-seeking. Strengthen us and empower us to fulfill your wishes as we seek to build your kingdom. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So go into God's world with love, hope, joy and faith in your hearts and may the blessing of Almighty God, creator, redeemer and sustainer, be with us all today and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>